We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Welcome to another 10 questions. Today's guest is Wendy Harmer. She was the first person I ever saw to stand up when she hosted the big gig. I remember her being funny and bulletproof and the whole show just blowing my tiny mind. I've interviewed Wendy for Agony Aunts and I know how much wisdom she has to impart. I also know how generous she is. Apart from being a TV host and author, Wendy was also the queen of Sydney radio for over a decade. These days she lives on a hill with her family, with ducks and chickens, and that's where she was when I spoke to her for this revealing episode of 10 Questions. Now, Wendy, uh, when were you most happy? Oh, yesterday, today. Mm. I'm, I'm just a happy person. I know there's... Um, a conception that comedians are all very sad, clowns are on medication, but that doesn't describe me. I'm actually a really happy person, and I'm happy. Um, I'm happy every day. Oh, I, I'm probably great. really boring. No, but that's great. Have you always been a happy person? I don't think I've been a happy person, but I've always been a very hopeful and determined and thoughtful person who thought that happiness was something to was something worth achieving mm. and so I've really actually strived for it in my life. Did you come from a happy family? No. I didn't come from a happy family and so I treasure happiness very much. Mm. My greatest creation is my happy family. And whenever I think of my family, I think of it as it's a a birthday cake, you know. (laughs) And um, so um, I don't don't come from happy circumstances, but but my greatest achievement is my own happiness and hopefully the happiness of my family. Oh, I'm sorry, but that's a weird... No, but it's great. But were, were you... Because you didn't come from happy circumstances, when, once you left those circumstances, did things change immediately or did you have to actually dig deep inside to make them change? I've always had an indomitable character. Mm. A, friend, yeah, a friend of mine told me that my character is adamantine. Yeah? What does that mean? Diamond-like. Oh, my friend, when he said it, he said, I had an adamantine sense of self, which means it was diamond brilliant and rock hard. I'm very, very happy with that description. <laughs> did, you have to, did you have to look it up or did you know exactly what he was talking about? No, I did know it was, it was something to do with diamonds. And when I think of diamonds, I think forged, multifaceted and reflecting a, a lot of colours. I thought, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> Wendy, question two. Who would you like to apologise to and why? I always think of that man in the front row of The Last Laugh in the Coogee Jumper. <laughs> I really could have been kinder. What did you say? 
I think it was something like, who cares about fashion dolls as long as you're comfortable? <laughs> I can see that probably the people who were in the front row of many of my gigs were sacrificed to the greater good. Question three, what is your greatest regret? Don't have any. Not worth worrying about. There's no point whatsoever in laying flowers at the site of a great <laughs> of a great personal disaster. I, I think that's a really it's a really good thing. A lot of people just rake over it. Oh. Look, I'm a great raker. I am a, I look I, I look I, I will admit that I'm a great raker over. Right. But, um, but I just want to tell everyone that as you get older, it's really, really a bit arduous to be raking over the ground, raking over ground, mm. and mm. and uh, it's not worth it. Not worth the trouble. Question four is: What will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Nothing. I mean, I could, you know, I make a little pact with myself every day. I can get on a plane or I travel out the door anywhere, if I could die right now I'd be perfect. Mm -hmm. When I was very young I used to have a recurring dream that I was killed and it was very troublesome to me Um, and then it lifted it lifted probably in my mid-40s I think that that dream lifted and now I'm, I'm good to go, you know. I actually think that's a funny thing, Adam, that my mother tried to commit suicide in front of me when I was 10. And I think that that's probably very influential on me, mm-hmm. that she and I and my three brothers and sisters survived that. And ever since then, I've just felt that I was as good to go. Wow. The five of us survived that, well, the six of us, my my father and my four brothers and sisters, we survived that moment. We're, we're still living and, you know, and now I really, I've always felt since that moment that I was actually good to go. Question five is, who is the person who most influenced you and how? Oh, well, my father. Absolutely. I mean, my father was an extraordinary person. He died last year. And he was, he grew up in Ballarat and wanted to be an anthropologist, but things being what they were, I mean, he was one of eight children of a poor potato farmer. He went into teaching. And he was, he was just, he just had this, he had a, Brilliant mind, an absolutely brilliant mind, and I feel the loss of that mind, you know, every day. But he, but my father said, you know, amongst oh, okay. oh, if I think about how many inspirational things he said to me, I mean, one of the things that I like, he said, you should be, all, you should always be able to speak to anyone, whether they are a um, from the poorest person to a king or a queen and just brought me up to be very forthright and confident. And, you know, I 
I think I, I, there was a terrible thing that happened recently, Adam, where I was I said on I said on the social media that my father brought me up to be resilient, and I really, you know, you know, I am a resilient person. And then someone said, "Oh, you've really got to understand that not a lot of people can be resilient." And so it's like a really terrible thing to ask people to be resilient. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I was brought up to be a very strong and courageous and forthright person. Yeah. When I was a kid, I did. other kids picked on me for the way I looked because I had a cleft palate. And I did, I did open up about it and I was included in a book about bullying. Mm-hmm. Thereafter, I'd become the post girl for bullying. <laughs> but I never did think I was bullied. I really didn't. So we need to put that on the record that, that you weren't bullied. You, were, you, you had a few derogatory remarks run your way. Ah, oh, a couple of mosquito bites. <laughs> um, there was no way that any, anyone was going to bully me. Not while I had... For God's sake, Adam, my father was the headmaster. I mean, I could recognise people who have been systematically and uh, bullied over years and the terrible effects of that. And I and, and I absolutely acknowledge what that is and I, I know it, how terrible it must be. But I would be really, it would be really, really, really um, ridiculous of me to say that I was bullied because I just came from a family that was that had great strength and my, between my father and my brothers and sisters, and we'd already overcome so much, and we just come from this this point of strength. Mm-hmm. And bullying was not in our vocabulary. I mean, now if you if you actually are the it does no, no, really, Adam, I swear to you, because Fiona Scott Norman, you know, Fiona, she did yeah. that book, she included me in it, and now people go, oh, poor Wendy Harvey, she was bullied. Every <laughs> time I said I just rail against it. Who, me? No, I wasn't. <laughs> but then again, but when you, but when there was people like, um, what's his name, um, Paul Capsis, Cap, what's his name, yeah. Capsis? Yeah, the, uh, the singer-actor. Yeah, he told the story of his bullying, and it was just heart-wrenching. Yeah. I think, you know, that those of us who are a bit picked on have a real duty of care not to claim victim victimology, mm. you know, but to really understand that there were people who were terribly, terribly abused uh, at school. Question six is, when was the last time you cried and why? What time is it now? I cry all the time. <laughs> I cry all the time. You, you cried during agony I, aunts. I remember. I cry all the time. <laughs> I'm just a moment. I'm just a moment and a box of Kleenex away from a good old cry. <laughs> and I think it's good. I think it's. I think it's healthy. You know. I think it's. Do you do appointment crying? Do you go, say, okay, I think you guys go out. No, and no, it's no, going to no. have a bit of a cry. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not like that. But I must say, but I must say, I, oh, gosh, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, bit of a, a bit of a slut for Twitter. A lot of YouTubes come my way. The kids show me YouTubes as well. My husband shows me stuff. I'm just inundated with crying stuff. <laughs> <laughs> morning or night. I could choose to cry all day and night, 
I, if, I, if I wanted to, I try to keep it down to a minimum when everyone's at school and away. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah, crying's good for you. It just, I mean, please. It's, it's, <laughs> it's cleansing. It's wonderful. It's, oh, crying is, is good for you. And you know what? I've always believed, Adam, when you've got in the crying moments, good things happen. Your your attitude shift, and and you you go on with a new resolve. So crying is good. It's, it's a lovely thing to say. Yeah, I I remember the um the, the first commissioning editor we had for the agony series when I'd done all the filming. She says, "Does anyone cry?" And I said, "I think Wendy might have cried." And she said, "Oh, good." <laughs> oh well, that would be right. It's um. <laughs> You know what? I think that if you're really in the moment and if you're really engaged with people and you're really empathetic, Mm. you can't help crying along with people. And it's just like, I mean, I think that crying is almost like a handshake. It's Mm. like, how are you going? Oh, well, I mean, I think that it should be elevated to the status of, of a of a handshake, um, I cried with so and so. I shook their hand. I think crying is a good thing. Question seven is: What is your current state of mind? My current state of mind is bemused. <laughs> I'm I'm endlessly fascinated and caught up with what people are doing, and I'm not a nostalgic person. I, I'm, I'm a real I'm a real a person who really loves. Looking into the future, um, I'm my kids—they're hilarious because of their because of their um, their obsessions. I laugh at their obsessions. I I, I maybe just uh, I have ducks and chickens, and they wander around and have bird wars with kookaburras and. I'm just amused at the bullshit that goes down here every day. It just it's, it's life is absolutely constantly entertaining in every way, and amusement is my favourite. Amusement slash amusement is my favourite uh, way of state of mind. Mm. You watch the same things turn over and over and over, mm. and I watch the same concerns go turn over and over and over since. Time in memorial, yep. and I always do think that um, going back to the ancients and the beautiful paintings of e- long eras long gone, and the statuary and the, the philosophies and the they uh, and 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 a comparative religion, it always gives you a clue, mm. and and you realise that the tumult. Um, has always been there and will go on forever, and mm. that that helps me be bemused. One of the best things that happened recently, I took my daughter, Maeve, who's 15, I took her to Greece, and she... <laughs> I took her to <laughs> a museum of ancient statuary in Greece, and she fell madly and deeply and very much in love with a statue from 4000 B.C., Wow. And I thought, oh, wouldn't he be the perfect boyfriend? I thought for a start. Yeah. But I, I like taking the long view. 
I like taking the long view on things. I get very, very, very annoyed and scratchy with the idea of just seeing what happened yesterday and today. And and most of the things that I like to write about are like uh, taking that really long view because I don't think human nature has changed, Adam. Mm. I really really don't. Our reactions to it have changed, but not the underlying emotions and the human emotions and who we are and how we conduct ourselves haven't changed. So Marcus Aurelius is always a great a great you know point mm. of reference and you know the the artists of, and philosophers of long ago and the and the religions are always great points of reference and you know I think they're all grist to the mill and they're all they all have great things to say about the human condition in a way and I think in the end the only possible possible place to be is bemused. Yeah, like a guru on the hill. I do live on a hill. Oh, well, there I you go. The you sit there with, your, with the Mona Lisa I smile. live on the side of a hill. I, I, I do. I live on the side of a hill. I look out in the ocean. I have free-ranging ducks and chickens. There oh. are bird wars in my yard every day where the crows come down and the bush, brush turkeys are in here and the kookaburras roam and, and there were all these, you know, beasties that come and I'm in the middle of bird wars interminably and then we have to fight <laughs> off the possums. You can't help but be amused. I love it. I love I love all that nature. That's that's fantastic. You see, but you see, Adam, here's my thing. In, there's a bit of a clue to all the things I've ever done in my career and that is the places that I, I now recognise as entirely the places that, where I do the best are the places where I'm actually in charge. Mm. I ask the questions. <laughs> I give the answers. Right. Um, I mean, it is really, it is really hard, I think, to give over, and why should you, to give over your authority on what you say and how you want to be presented to someone else. Steve Bochco, I remember, who wrote um, um, Hill Street Blues, he wrote his first novel and he said, wow, this is amazing. And you mean I get to write a novel and um, it's unedited and I get to say what I think? Mm. And that for me has been a revelation. I mean, it was like when I started doing stand-up comedy and I stood on a stage by myself. I said, wow, you mean I get to say what I think and there's no one who can kick me off stage or cut off the microphone? Mm -hmm. And I think that in my life, I mean, in my professional life, I'm always looking for for that real sweet spot where I can actually say what I think with the least interference between me and my audience. And that's why stand-up is so great and why I love it and I'm, I'm going to do more of it because there isn't a person editing what I want to say. Question eight, Wendy, is what do you consider your greatest achievement? Well, I think there are two kinds of comedians in this world. I think there are comedians who've had a really, really tragic childhood and um, and create some kind of normality in their routines. And then I think that there is the obverse of people who are, have had rather normal and, you know, privileged lives 
to create something absurdist and surreal and uh, iconoclastic. I'm I'm sort of, you know, well, I'm from the former camp. Mm -hmm. I've been able to sort of fashion my life into something that's normal. And Mm. I get a real kick out of that. Question nine, who would she want on your side in a battle and why? I would be excellent on my side in a battle. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Good. Um, <laughs> You're the first person to say that. Um, That's great. <laughs> so I do try. I do try. And I know, I've seen and I've written about what it's like to not have yourself on your own side. And believe me, there is no bleaker, bleaker scenario than having yourself in opposition mm. to yourself, as it were. I mean, so imagine if I'm trying to think, Great Warrior was walking into battle and someone was behind him saying, oh, really? Do you reckon? Jesus, mm. your, your shield is a bit shit. I mean, really? You could lose a few kilos here. We're not going to win this. This is crap. Yeah. I mean, why would you? I mean... I know it's ridiculous and banal to say it, but you've got to get rid of that person because they're fucked and they're not helping. The final question, Wendy, what would you like your last words to be? Can you hand me that? Oh, thanks. Can I have another? Oh, my God, that is so fantastic. Can I just see that? (laughs) I don't know. I just like to be just in the moment, just loving life and just fucking just went up, you know. Wendy, thanks so much for that. That's great. Do you know how long we've talked? Yeah, we've talked for two hours. One one hour, 53 Two fucking hours. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Do you ever think about the call takers and dispatchers at 911? They're the unsung heroes of our public safety system, the first among first responders. Their jobs are stressful and demanding, yet they keep us safe and calm in life or death situations every day. Let's join together and thank the professionals at 911 for being there when we need them most, for saving lives and protecting communities. Show your support for 911. Visit thankyou911.org. That's thankyou911.org.